And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 622. Continuing our team-by-team previews for the 2024 season. And we're going to Baltimore, the Baltimore Orioles, a team that jumped like two years ago, kind of really got things rolling. Last year, got in the playoffs, looked amazing. Amazing ball club, young club, fun club with Rushman, Henderson, and company. And there are expectations for more of that to come with the youth that they have. We'll see how much of that is, is real. And in order to help uh, help me break down the Orioles, uh, first time on the show, looking forward to chatting with them for sure. You can find his work over on FTN. I, he's over on probably the gambling FTN bets side of things, but I know the FTN fantasy crew. He just was a part of their FTN draft guide. You can find him on Twitter at MLB Dream Picks. Dream, how we doing, man? Good, man. Thanks for having me, Bubba. Been a long time coming, like you said, so happy to be on. Yep, looking forward to it. I know we've kind of DM'd, we've followed each other for a long time, so it's kind of fun to bring this all together and have some fun doing it. Before we get into this and everything, let everybody know what you got going on over at FTN because you you do a lot of work over there and you do very very well at what you do. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, honestly, what we got fifty days until spring training baseball games, so uh, that's probably something I probably look forward to that just as much as the regular season. Um, I'll have pitcher information up daily at FTN Daily and FTN Bets. Uh, you know, I, I bet spring training. I, I love betting spring training. It's it's one of the largest edges you'll find in the gambling market, period. So that's pretty much what I got going on. We'll probably write up a couple futures pieces if I get some bets that I see that I like. Um, but other than that, man, j- just counting down the days. Yep. No, you are. I always laugh every year because you are hardcore into the spring training world. Like he's got his dreams, got his pitching matchups for the day. He's got all this stuff and he crushed it. So, hey, we're powered to you. It's, it's good. Um, yeah. If you guys are over there at FTN Fantasy, Dream also wrote an article on the draft guy that Vlad puts out, Vlad and company put out, I should say. And it was really good stuff. You could utilize it, fantasy, betting, whatever. There's a lot of intermixing in there. So it was really cool to see how you use the betting side of things to like attack the uh, the prop bets because prop bets are becoming huge. Like, I play on underdog all the time. I, I get bored and put props out. So it's getting bigger and bigger, but just the way you utilized it was very, very interesting to check out. And it was definitely stuff that, you know, looking at pitch mix changes and this and that and the other. It's, it's stuff we all do in the fantasy side too. So it's very, very interesting how it, it all intermingles with each other. Exactly, man. You guys are already doing the research. You just got to like check the market. And, you know, yep. I, one thing I didn't add that I probably added last year was, it's also helpful just to keep an eye, even if you're not placing any bets, just keep an eye on the market. Like if there's a specific picture that you know pretty well or that like you think you might eventually have an edge on or you might have an edge, just check out his opening line, see where they close at. And just like, you know, you don't actually have to bet to, you know, to check out the betting market. Yep, and I love the props and the DFS. Like it intermingles almost like if you see the the props changing, like you said, the market from the opening to close or whatever, that might give you a sign if you want a yes or no on DFS type things because you know, we we joke about it a lot, but you do a lot of you do a lot of gambling or betting. I don't know what the proper term is anymore because it's so cliche. But um, in reality, those guys are pretty good at setting the lines that they set. So I always say the lights are left on. So if they're moving certain directions, probably pay attention to them type thing. So no, yeah. for sure. And there's also you know there's some large gamblers out there that won't even place an MLB bet until they see a lineup for that night. So I mean that's why you'll see some late movement and sometimes some significant movement even late in the day yeah no it makes a ton of sense so it'll be fun to see where that goes see uh looking forward to your spring training tweets already it'll be great uh and see where we go from there because it is right around the corner thank god i cannot wait like we always get burned out because the season is long it's a long season but when you you know 
start watching football Twitter too long, it gets like <laughs> baseball season. But Dude, I mean, you nailed it. I'm I'm pretty burned out by the end of the World Series. Like I I get started in February, and then about a week into the regular se- off season, I'm like, all right, like I'm ready to go. Like let's get pitchers and catchers reporting. Yeah, Netflix sucks. Like I need something. Let's go. <laughs> so let's do it. Let's talk Baltimore Orioles. I'm looking forward to it because, like I said at the top, it's a fun team. It's a young team. It's exciting. Like it was hard not to sit here on the, even the West Coast and watch like the you know I call it the dong bong. Like that was always funny and just all the stuff. Like it's a young group playing well, having fun. A couple of veterans there, of course, but good ball club. Um, so let's just start with on the offensive side of things, and we'll start with Adley Rushman. He's the I call him the face. You know, Gunner's trying to get his case in there as being the face, but Adley's the face for now. Uh, best catcher in, in fantasy uh, right now. What's your thoughts on him going forward? Because he, he, you know, he's a massive OBP kind of guy, but there's a lot of talent in that bat. So, what are we expecting from Adley Rushman this year? You know, I'm kind of waiting to see if he gets just a little bit more aggressive at the plate. I mean, don't get me wrong. He has a great eye. He works accounts beautifully. But I do want to see just a little bit more power and and maybe potentially some slugging from him. But you nailed it, man. Like, Gunner is incredible as well. But the team kind of goes with Adley. Um, So I'm guessing he'll probably, you know, be batting first or second again this year for them. Um, And, you know, it is – it's a big deal what – and. I don't want to understand what he does with the pitching staff. I mean, at his age and given like, you know, it's his second full, not even his second full year, the way he manages the pitching staff is pretty incredible. Not even only with the game plans, but even like the mental side of it. I mean, he's just always picking the guys up and they, they really feed off that. I know that's not something that's like, you know, we can gamble on or even fantasy related, but just the way that he picks up his guys is like another thing to watch for. And you pretty much nailed it. Like I've been watching the O's since I was a kid and this is by far the most fun team um, I think we've had in a while, even when they were, you know, winning all those games in 2012 through 2016, like it felt a little bit more f- fluky then. And you can really just see this is a lot more legit. Yeah, it's a, it's a real, it's like a real top, almost one through nine. Like you can just be like, okay, we're, we got something here. We're confident. I'm like, yeah, kind of fluky stuff, which trust me as a Giants fan, I get it right now. Even winning <laughs> 80 games feels fluky these days. Cause I just, I look at that lineup. And it's like, Ugh. But um, yeah, Rushman, but it's a good point. It's like something we talk about a lot, but we don't think we, we take into account enough is the off the field stuff or the non-statistical stuff. Like you mentioned, just the way he holds, he runs the team like that. That's, that's huge. It's the pitching staff. That's tremendous on how that goes. Cause it gives them confidence. Maybe like you wrote about Bradish in your FTN thing and, and his pitch mix change. Like, it gives Bradish probably more confidence to throw the pitch like that much because of what Adley's do. Like there's so many layers to that, which might not help him for fantasy or Betty, but could help. The, the rest of the crew, which is something because, you know, sometimes we'll talk about, you know, this pitcher pitches better with a catcher one compared to catcher two type situation. There's a lot to that. That could be what Adley's doing back there. So yeah, there's Orioles fans. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. Orioles fans kind of lose their mind. The second high decides to give uh, Rutschman a single day off. The Orioles Twitter is just all over the place. But yeah, even though he, it even does though make a large difference. Even though he's DH, he's still, he's still hitting, but he's just not behind the dish because exactly. he gets more at-bats than anybody in baseball, which is beautiful. I'd love – the power is the only thing. Like, I'm like, I want more power from Adley. Like, that's why it's tough for me, like, kind a fantasy angle to kind of go all in on Adley. But the talent's legit. Real, real, real good ball player. Let's go to Gunner. Uh, we talked about him already, and he had a really, really strong second half of the season, or maybe two thirds of the season. Like it was so bad early, but it was almost like the um, similar to what Adley was, just not aggressive. Like just was not swinging at anything. Obviously changed, production increased. What are your thoughts for Gunner now? You know, got this first real season under his belt now. Now maybe he runs or something. How, how do you how do you see this goes? I mean, and that's the other thing you mentioned. You know, we also see his 
lefty and righty splits that are pretty significant. And you also saw when we actually were facing, when they were facing a lefty, you would see him further down the lineup. Not even like he's good enough for like, what do you have? He had a 75 runs created plus first left-handed pitching last year. And you would still see Hyde bat him like, you know, I think it's six or in the seventh spot. So he's just obviously not as effective um, against Southpaws, but it's like still most of the time he's going to be batting near the top of the lineup with Adley. And honestly, I, I thought his power might take a little bit longer to, to surface. And like, it didn't <laughs> surprisingly. I mean, he hit what 20, 28 home runs last year, top, top of the order most of the time against those righties. So, I mean, he's someone just like Adley, but I think I'm maybe looking for him to have like a little bit better on base percentage this year. Cause I mean, the power I was expecting the on base and the on base ability to, to, to emerge before the power that we saw. So I'm, I'm guessing maybe a slight dip in power and a little bit more uh, OBP from Gunner this season. Which, you know, with Adley and him at the top of the order, the bats behind him, just get on base, let, let the big boys do their thing, which is always a good thing. And uh, I'm, I'm curious, do you think, again, it was year one. I I did, I don't follow the O's religiously because I can't follow every team, but um, do you think Gunner can maybe run more? Or is that he's just kind of who he is? He had 10 steals last year. Is that kind of what we should expect? I mean, I don't maybe he could run a little bit more if he's at the bottom of the order, but I don't think we ran. I mean, there were a few guys that, that stole a handful of bases for us, but I don't envision him getting True. more green lights, I guess, if he's hitting in that two hole, um, you know, with guys on base and then Mount Castle and Santander behind him. I don't think we'll see much of a uptake, but I wouldn't be surprised if when he is hitting, you know, sixth in the lineup maybe he'll uh, be a little bit more aggressive on the base paths yeah it's funny as now you mentioned that i look at the roster and i'm like yeah they just don't run in baltimore that's just not a thing they, they got well they got the, the dong bong so why are we running anyways um anthony santander this is a fun story because you know he quietly was just this dude that kept hitting like you know 240 or 250 and hit 20 25 homers and no one really paid attention the last couple of years he's kind of become this dude in the middle of the order dropping bombs you know switch hitting doing his thing what are we thinking for Santander? Because the dude's he's only 29. Like people it feels like he's been playing forever to me for some reason, but he's 29 and he's in the middle of your order. So what's your thoughts on Santander? Yeah, man, he's one of the guys that think he was a Dan Duquette rule five draft, and they had to kind of manipulate the roster for a little bit to kind of keep him on board. He's battled injuries pretty much every year, but we saw the switch hitting power last year, and it was legit. Um I was a little nervous that they're actually going to move him or maybe potentially Mullins this offseason, just given what I think he might have one more arbitration year after this. I don't think they'll, they'll pay him, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if we continue to kind of see him uh, sell out a little bit more for power. Uh, he hit 33 home runs two years ago, didn't quite reach 30 last year, but man, he's going to be hitting third or fourth for them most nights, and I'm expecting 30 plus homers again, like around, you know, low 30. So that's actually one where I'm a little curious to see what uh, his home run prop um, opens at. Yeah, he goes, you know, 18. He also was like 20, 11, 18, and boom, 33, 28. He's hitting the, for the decent average. Like there's a lot to like with what Santander's profile is doing. And the and the, tw- the 33 and the 28, he might have done that before. Those are the first season he played over 150 games. So um, there's definitely something to like there with Santander. Ryan Mountcastle, this is the conundrum because if anybody, and it's been said a million times, has gotten hurt by the changes to Camden Yards, it has been uh, Ryan Mountcastle. So what are we thinking this year? Because he was banged up a little last year as well to kind of nuke his stats, but he did have, you know, uh, 18 homers, hit 270. So not horrible, but we want a little more from Mount. 
Yeah, I was actually expecting his home and road splits to be a little bit more significant. I think he hit the same number of, of home runs at home and on the road. But, you know, this might not be so much data back. But when you watch the O's, it seems almost like every night he just absolutely crushes a ball. And it's, you know, 10, 15 feet ahead of that huge wall in left field. So he's a guy I was, I was kind of hoping that, that if they could get fair value for him, maybe trade him. Because, I mean, him in another park, it would just, he would just mash if it was just somewhat of a fair stadium. Um, and then also the other thing I noticed, he's was wrecking left-handed pitching. Um, so that's a guy like, you know, when you're playing DFS um, or even if you have daily lineups, like you want to make sure he's in the lineup first, those lefties, no matter where he's playing. 100%. You, you mentioned the mashing part. He tied his best career, Max EV last season, barrel rates high, all, all the stuff you're looking for, for quality contact, power metrics. Dude mashes. That's never been the question. It's just, man, like you said, get him maybe out of that ballpark or something. Like, like unleash the beast. It's, it's like the joke I always have with Brandon Belts. I'm like, Belts are like a 30 home run guy if you got him out of San Francisco. And I don't think he's ever going to get to prove that, but I think at least smart enough people have realized there's a lot more power in certain guys if you get him out of certain situations now. So that's a good thing. Cedric Mullins, not long ago, was a 40-40 man, 30-30 man. Um Things have declined a bit and said he gets platooned a little more. What are we expecting this year? Because it seems like the platoons might be here to stay with Cedric Mullins. So it definitely seems right. Like the 2021 season where he hit 30 home runs is, is clearly the outlier. Um, I don't think anybody should be really be expecting that type of production. I think he might max out at around 20 home runs. Um, I think he played through, you know, mentioned Mount Castle. I think also he played through some sort of injury in the second half of last year as well that, that kind of, you know, caused a dip in his numbers. But, like, if like if I had to pick one guy to, I guess, trade, I, like I said, it was either him or Santander, I kind of wish, it, hope it's Mullins. I mean, I like yeah. him. He's a great dude, great teammate. But, I you know, like, I think the most that he brings to the table now is his glove in center field making just – insane catches but given their um what we have behind them in the minor leagues i kind of wouldn't be opposed to, to, to seeing him dealt but i mean he'll probably go 2020 this year i don't think he'll be that huge fantasy star that we saw a couple years ago yeah but see 2020 is interesting i'm glad that's why i wanted to ask you like what you guys are thinking of him because if we can get 2020 where he's going in drafts right now it's it's interesting you're not paying the premium you were before i'm still not sold on it because i'm just worried about the platoon i do agree if they're going to pick one of the other please pick santander i'm all over that one with you that would be because you already got enough kind of speed guys that can get or not speed but guys can get on before the big boys so uh keep santander there for sure Where's he going in drafts right now, Bubba? Uh, where he is going in the last 15 draft champions drafts is pick 140, which is still not a bad price tag, but um, he's going he's going four picks in front of Santander. Um, they're going right next to each other. So he's going right behind Evan Carter. We're talking outfielders. So it's, it's an interesting range where you can see similarities, especially with Carter and Mullins to me. But, um, yeah. yeah, if you get the 2020, it's interesting. If you get last season – Ain't going to work. So, yeah. Uh, I'm with you on that. I, I think the 2020 is there. I agree with that aspect. I'm just worried about Hyde and company uh, keeping them out there. Austin Hayes. Now, you mentioned Mountcastle mashes lefties. <laughs> Hayes is that dog, too. But um, I've always been a Hayes fan, but he seems like he's kind of the odd man out when it comes to the outfield in Baltimore. How do you see Hayes playing out in 2024? 
I mean, dude, just like you, he's probably been my favorite Oriole the the past couple of years. I've kind of been waiting for a year like he had last year because because the power is there, right? He's battled some injuries. And the other thing that people forget, um, dude, he has one of the best arms in baseball. Like, do not run on this guy. And it was interesting once they put him in in left field last year and just just kind of let him let him have it. But he's he's a guy like you said. He he mashes the lefties, and like I don't I think that I would probably take him like not too far like I think I would take him before Mullins again I know you're getting the stolen bases from Mullins but if, if we're ranking these guys like I'm definitely taking Mountcastle well ahead of Mullins and I'm probably waiting then for um Hayes to take over Mullins as well but I think that he's like one of the more like underrated players in the game uh, one of the more underrated bats in baseball 100% agree should hit in the like middle to bottom third but close like fifth sixth most days and he's going like 160 picks after Mullins, which is uh quite the gap to me that doesn't make sense so does he i'm guessing i know i don't think he gets any stolen bases but the fact that it's that much of a difference is, is actually five quite steals surprising. last year which isn't the worst thing but uh yeah it's it's a massive gap like he hits for average got some pop it's a little crazy to be that big of a and difference. it's weird when you look at his numbers, like I would have guessed that he had well over 20 home runs, but to finish with 16 and 144 yeah. games is a little surprising, but I mean, the power is, is legit. And like you said, you know, he, he misses out on a lot. Thanks to that wall in Baltimore. Yep. That's the big part. Cause yeah, it's in 22, 16 and 16. Those are his last three years of home run totals, 16 and 16 <clears throat> wall. So <laughs> that says about all you need to know on, on, on that scenario. Um, Jordan Westberg. Now this now we're starting to get some of these younger guys. Well, we've got an old guy coming up still. But uh Jordan Westberg got his cup of coffee last year, was hot and cold, would then like light the world on fire. But looks like he's gonna get the job to start the season in the at second base. What are the expectations on a guy like Jordan Westberg? Man, honestly, I don't like spend as much time even as an Orioles fan looking into most of these prospects simply because I'm waiting for them to trade two or three of them. We've been waiting now for like what, what a year for them to trade one of them. But I mean, with him, he Westbrook, I think when he played last year, he pretty much hit the ball hard. Even a lot of his outs were extremely hard hit. So the dude can obviously barrel up a, a ball. Um, I think we've seen a few of the other younger guys maybe look a little bit better with the glove, but he's looked solid as well. I mean, honestly, man, they just have so many infield options. I, I, I really need them to trade one or two and then just give us a better idea of who's going to be, you know, getting 400 to 500 at bats for them next year. I don't, I honestly, I don't know if it's Westberg. I know they love Ramon Urias's glove. I mean, he's pretty, you know, solid at multiple positions. So I, I honestly can't tell you what their plan is um, for there. I just know that he hits the ball extremely hard. Yeah. It seems like they want Westberg to be the guy, but you're right. Like, Ramon was getting tons of action out there at the same time. Like if, if Westbrook slumped at all, it was quickly to Ramon uh, out there. And that makes it very difficult to, to cause you know, at the very least he's going to give you a gold glove yep. at, at third base. So, and if those guys at the top of the order, we've already talked about if they're hitting, then you can sacrifice. Like you see all these good teams, they all have like one or two dudes. Just You're here for defense. Just go play defense. Exactly. That's all we want you to do. <laughs> exactly. and, uh, the Orioles are getting to that level of good. That's the thing. So it's not a bad thing to have. Uh, you mentioned young infielders that you guys might want to see pretty soon. Uh, that's Jackson Holiday, who just basically soared through the minor leagues last year. Like like you, I don't pay a ton of attention to prospects until they're kind of more on the radar. I don't have enough time for that. But Jackson Holiday is kind of hard to ignore where he was because he was everywhere on, on Twitter. Um, almost got the cup of coffee, it felt like, last year. But they kind of waited. Already rumors, like, you got to say it. Like, if you play as well, he'll start the year with the team. They got to say those things. 
But with the incentives these days, it makes sense. Like, if he's as good as they're saying, they just saw it with Gunner. Like, let's bring him up. Let's do it. What are you hearing or what are your expectations for Jackson Holiday? Because this is a guy I'm so torn on right now. I mean, I'm a lot like you, right? Like, until they can kind of help me in my daily fantasy or my betting, like, I'm kind of ignoring them, just kind of keeping tabs on them. But it, it's hard to ignore this dude. I mean, you look at his videos and just how the, he looked in 2022. He looked like a kid, man. Like, you're definitely going to ID him if he's trying to buy beer. I mean, I don't even think he looked like he, he could buy cigarettes. Um, And he's yeah. really filled out, like, significantly, even one year in the O system. Like, his shoulders, just his body. He just looks like a much bigger kid. With that said, I'd be shocked if he breaks spring training with the O's. Um, He only had, like, 18, 18 games at, at AAA. AAA. Yeah. Right, and we're only talking what thirty six games at, at double A. Um, yeah, eighteen thirty six so and fifty seven at high A. Yeah, so it might be a little bit like of a Grayson thing where like it'll take him a couple months to come up. Maybe he'll you know just to see what he has early on to see what he has to work on. But I'm not expecting a ton from him in especially in the first half next year. And then let's not forget the dude's twenty. Still can't buy beer. Still can't buy beer if we're gonna go that route. Like I had to double check because I remember he was young and I was like, God, he's only 20. Um, and so I know they want to get the incentives to get the draft pick, so he's got to be up and get, but he could still win rookie of the year if he misses it the first month or two. Like if, he, if he's as talented as they say. So I'm with Dude, you, get sure. him a little more seasoning. Like he because he, he he played okay in triple A, but it wasn't like again, only 18 games, but there was definitely a learning curve taking place there. No, for sure. And he's probably someone that I watch more hitting videos of than any other player in baseball, especially when he's with, with his dad and other people he works out with. I mean, the guy's hitting nukes. Him and his brother. His brother's like, he looks like, his brother looks like his dad, which right. is terrifying. Like, they, oh, yeah, the holiday family. Like, these these families, they got the holidays, the Guerreros, and you just go down on the list. It's ridiculous, um, the pedigree stuff. I have to ask you, because he performed really well last year, and he's actually a like, roster resource still has him at least in the strong side of a platoon. So this is somewhat viable for people that play deep, deep leagues. Is Ryan O'Hearn still a thing with the Orioles? Like, is this going to be a thing next? Because he played great. I'm not knocking him. I rostered him in deep formats. I get it. But is this really a thing? I thought it might have been like a one-year wonder. No, he's he's honestly up before last season. I always considered him my spring training MVP. Yeah, he's the guy that comes like, in like sixth and or seventh inning, just matches a couple home runs for whatever side you're on. Yeah. Um, but dude, I totally think Ryan O'Hearn is a thing. Um, I mean, again, he's only going to face right-handed hitters, um, so he's more useful in the daily or the DFS. But I mean, I think they made a couple changes with his swing, and it's one thing that a lot of the hitters, even the young guys talk about is, you know, the, the hitting app that the Orioles have that kind of grades your decision-making um, more so than like the results. And I think he's someone else that has, you know, benefited a ton from this and just from the coaching in general. I, I really like, I, I really like O'Hearn. I mean, the power is legit. It's something that we've seen throughout his career. Probably not, you know, I don't think people would be expecting him to have a 330 OBP or whatever that was and be like as efficient as he was, but I definitely think that, I mean, at the very least, you know, he's a pretty good platoon bat. Yeah, I'm with you. So I was just curious, like, like roster resource, never the end all be all, but strong side of platoon. And when he's in, he's hitting middle of the order. So it's it's enticing because, like, yeah, I used him a lot last year. And one thing he said there for sure is the dude's always hit for power. Even Kansas City, when he bug us and stuff, he just couldn't hit for average, couldn't stay in the lineup. The, but the power is never the question with Ryan O'Hearn. 
So kind of cool to see it coming together. And again, we're talking about old people. He's technically the oldest guy in the starting lineup, and he's 30. So not that old when we start looking at things, and uh, it's good to see. And Bubba, you know, that's like the exact type of player, like pitcher and hitter that the Orioles are kind of, have, you know, been kind of looking at like a, a cheap option where, hey, maybe if we can make one or two adjustments with this guy and kind of get him a little better at this one thing he already excels at, like we're going to have a player that can be at least like useful off the bench or in a platoon. Yeah, no, and that's what I I wish more te- teams would do because there's a lot of those kind of guys out there and they just kind of get wasted on the wrong systems. And it's really annoying to watch because talent's there and no one's willing to give it a shot on the cheap, like you said, which is uh, pretty sweet. All right, uh, let's go to the pitching side of things. And you mentioned this gentleman in your, uh, your ride-up for FTN, and he's a guy that was great. To, it was fun to watch last year. And I'm still having trouble going, is this for real next year type thing? Kyle Bradish, amazing season for Kyle Bradish. Are we believing in what we saw keeping going in 2024? Yes and no. Like, I don't think, like, I don't think he's an an ace, right? And I think that's why you're also seeing them at least try to potentially trade for someone for the top of the rotation. But I do think the strikeout stuff is legitimate. And that pretty much comes from his slider and also his curveball, which has great numbers as well. But uh, he was a guy that like, he, he always looked good. And then when you look dug a little bit deeper into his numbers, you just saw the strikeout potential with his slider and his curveball. And once they started increasing his usage to over 30% with the slider and decreasing his usage of his fastball significantly, which is a pretty, I think, I think it's a bad fastball. I think it's a lot worse than a below average. Um, you just kind of saw it take off and I, I expect something similar to him, maybe a little bit of a downgrade from last year in terms of like ERA uh, because he did over overperform in, in that department. But man, I, I do think he's like a, a great number three in the rotation. And I'm a little curious to see uh, where they begin opening up his, his strikeout numbers um, this year. Cause he's a guy that they started bumping up pretty significantly. Once we saw him taking off, I want to say five and a half and a few times, like I think six and a half. Um, is where they started lining him. Yeah, when the strikeouts became legit, I got I noticed that as well. And on certain things, a his DFS price went up, and b um, yeah, I noticed like like I said, I still poke around at the uh, props as a curiosity, and I could rarely ever stomach betting Bradish because I was always like, yeah, well, this is getting steep. Uh, so I have to see how this one goes. Grayson Rodriguez is the name that so many people are excited about in Baltimore. Obviously, came started the year was shaky. And then he goes back to the minors, works on some things, tweaks some things. He's documented how he tweaked on things. Comes back up, outstanding. Second half of the season, sub three ERA, um, K percentage around twenty five percent, give or take. Dude was electric and uh, has a lot of people optimistic for twenty twenty four. Should we be optimistic? Yeah, man. I mean, like if you're, I don't know what they would potentially line his ERA prop at, but I definitely would take under four, maybe even under like three nine or three eight five. I mean, you mentioned it, man. He was just a lot. He just was a different guy after being recalled. And one thing that he said that really stuck out to me is like, man, I just went back to what I was doing that made me successful. He's like, I'm a power pitcher. So I was just thinking too much and trying to almost like trick these guys uh, when I first went up. And then when I came back up, I was like, I trusted my stuff a little bit more and I just let it play. Um, And you, you really saw that, especially with his demeanor on the mound, his first few starts. The second he made a mistake, even not even giving up a hit or a walk, if he missed his spot, you could see him tilt it. Like it was definitely affecting him mentally on the mound, even just missing location on a single pitch. So I think he'll actually be more prepared mentally. And we'll probably see a lot of what we saw in the second half from, you know, the first from opening day on with him. 
Yep, I'm looking forward to it. He's a, he's a target of mine if I can swing it in a draft. I'm a big fan of what we saw in that second half, and uh, I think there's much more to come. John Means uh, obviously came back from injury through 23 innings last year. Decent in, innings, I'll say. He, he looked okay. But still, 23 innings, I'm kind of skeptical on what we should see in 2024. What are you hearing or seeing about John Means? Bit read or, or seen much, to be honest. Um, watching him last year, I don't know how he was effective, as effective as he was. He, um, I started betting a few of his under strikeout props um, towards the end of the season there just because he couldn't miss any bats. If I'm not mistaken, I think he had a – Swinging strike percentage. I mean, he's never been a big strikeout guy, but I think he had a swinging strike percentage in the single digits last year, 8% career, 10.9. And just watching him, I think the velocity was fine, but like he couldn't miss any bats. So I I know he was coming back from injury. So that's probably one thing I'll I'll watch for, at least in spring training. I know we won't get too much, but like what his swing and stuff, swing and miss stuff really looks like. Um, yeah, I would consider him someone with like a higher floor than most of our other guys, but um, I'm a little nervous after what we saw when he, when he came back last year. At the very least, I think he could eat some innings for them. Um, like I talked with Grayson, if I had to bet on like his ERA being above or below four, I would probably take over four at least for uh, next season. Yeah, I'm just kind of worried about you know this is still like I said 23 innings is a lot more he still has to do I think to get back to. The more trustable John Means is what I'm concerned about with him. Dean Kramer, a guy that I don't know gets enough attention as he should. Maybe he shouldn't. Maybe I'm overthinking it. But the guy threw over 170 innings. Um, he had some really good starts, some really ugly starts. But for the most part, he's serviceable fourth or fifth in a real-life rotation. Um, what are your thoughts on Kramer this year? Because I know, like I said, real-life rotation. He was streamable at times in fantasy, but tough to trust all the time. So how, how do you see Dean Kramer playing out? He's probably been my least favorite Orioles pitcher now for a couple years. And um, it was actually funny. A lot of the Orioles fans, especially on Twitter, you know, were mentioning him in the same breath in conversation as Bradish last year while they were both performing pretty well. And I'm like, no, if like you look at the numbers, like Bradish is significantly better than Kramer. Kramer, who's, you know, overachieved pretty significantly. Man, I would probably bet on him having an ERA over four or five. He's, he's someone that like I don't really understand how he gets – people out i don't think his stuff is that good you 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 said it like you said it well he's he's a better real life four or five than he is for fantasy or even betting purposes but he's someone that like i even avoid i don't really want to back him i also don't look to fade him a ton i just don't have much respect for him but i also feel like he's one of those guys that's a little bit difficult to over project or to project just because he's been overperforming so much yeah, uh, that's a great way to put it. It's just tough to trust, basically, is the way I look at it. Uh, there's definitely talent there, but it's tough to trust. Uh, right now, they have Cole Irvin in the five spot. I think we can both agree that's probably not going to happen in the next, could be any moment now. Um, I'll just jump to it now. Who are you hoping they trade for? Because Dylan C seems to be the name that is the most attached to the Orioles, but there are other options out there. So who are you hoping they trade for to become the fifth member of this rotation? I mean, ideally, if I could have anybody I wanted, it'd be Burns. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think that's going to happen, just given the Brewers' division and the fact that they still think they can contend in the division, which you know they, they very much could be able to. Cease's projections make me a little nervous, um, especially when you look at all the walks that he had last year. But then again, um, I do think you know Katz is, is great in Chicago. They got a great pitching coach. I do think the Orioles are 
a little sharper than the White Sox overall. And the other thing would be just a huge park upgrade pitching in Camden. So I think, you know, if, yeah, I would love, I, I would really love Cease. And I know this isn't totally fair of Elias because I don't, honestly, part of me thinks that he's not even a, allowed to offer a free agent a multi-year deal. Um, so I think trades is, you know, trading. And that's the other thing, right? Both of these guys are on like one-year deals or have one year of, of, of arbitration left, which makes it a little tougher. But I do think that that's almost like best case scenario. And, you know, I mentioned it to you going into the offseason, my Orioles wish list, not much of a wish list, but it was Seth Lugo, um, Michael Walker, and Sean Manaya. Like those are like the type of price range I thought they would spend at and they would still be an upgrade over Kramer or whoever, you know, Cole Irvin at the fourth or fifth spot. And they'd be a good fit in the park. Now the Royals took two of those guys and I really haven't heard anything about Sean Manea pretty much yeah. all, all off season. Yeah. And, and I'm really curious about that too. I don't know if he's just waiting to see how the other dominoes fall and he thinks he's better than any, you know, the way he finished the season, Manaya was really, really good. Like, really good. As a Giants guy, I've always kind of clowned on Manaya, but he showed me a lot at, towards the end of the season for multiple reasons. He was not happy, uh, which I totally didn't, didn't argue with because he was getting used improperly. He was very, very vocal about that. But he actually pitched really, really well. So I was like, as a Giants fan, I'm like, Kepler's gone. Bring him back. Like, bring him back. So you just utilize him like a normal pitcher. Like, Melvin knows him. Like, bring him back. This is easy stuff. Um, but, yeah, that'd be a good fit in Baltimore. Um, similar, similar thoughts as well. I mean, you nailed it, right? Like, it's one of those where, like, that's the tough thing about betting these days. It's like, all right, let me, especially the Giants were such a headache. You're like, all right, let me try to figure out which one of these four guys is going to pitch four innings today for them. Yep. Um, and he was one of those guys when I would miss, and then I would look at the box score, and I was like, damn it. Like, I would have loved to bet, like, Giants first five or whatever it is, some sort of bet on the Giants when he was out there. Because you mentioned that his usage was, like, it was tough to predict, and it was really wonky. So I get why he was frustrated. But when he was out there, like, the strikeout stuff was there. And the the worst part about the Giants, per se, when you look at the betting market and even DFS, the one that everyone said was supposed to be coming in after the opener never came in after the opener, it felt like. And it was like, and then they'd be the starter the next day or something. It was never, there's no rhyme or reason or consistency to whatever Kapler is doing, except Logan Webb pitched every fifth day. You had that lockdown and Cobb when he was healthy. Otherwise, right, throw it at a wall. I've been super high on Cobb for for years as well. And another guy I liked with the Giants was Jacob Judas. So when I knew that he was going to go like once or twice through the order with that slider, he's another guy that I would kind of look to to back because I do think that there's some value there, even though his fastball is absolutely horrible and he's only a two-pitch pitcher. I still still think that his slider is that effective. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I like them both. I guess why it was very tilting to see utilization things going on there. Uh, let's go to the bullpen. I was an idiot left Felix Bautista there because we know he's gone for the year. They brought Craig Kimbrell in. Um, big move. Made total sense. One-year deal. You're shaking your head no, though. Not excited about Craig Kimbrell because I'll say this much. Yiner Cano, or I'd probably pronounce that wrong, I've been told. Very good. But it seemed like he was better in the eighth than the ninth throughout the season. And that's the thing I've talked about forever and many others have. It's a mentality to pitch the ninth. It's not just like anybody can do it. It's, you got to be kind of psycho at times. Um and that's just that's just you look at the guys that have been successful with it, they just have a different on-off switch. So uh they brought Kimberlin, in, your head was shaking. What's your thoughts? So just quickly on, on you know, uh, on Cano. I mean, also the thing that, that hurts him is the fact that he's not a big strikeout guy. Like we would see Felix get into some trouble there in the ninth, get a couple base runners on. He's like, All right, I'm just gonna go 102 at the top of the zone and then finish you off with the slider that's gonna make you um I would have been a lot 
more comfortable with Kimbrel at 12 million if they were going to spend another 28 million in free agency, right? If he was uh, not their sure. big spend up. Um, like, why give Kimbrel 12 million when Lugo's going for like 15 or Waka went for something similar in that range? So I would have been fine with the Kimbrel move again if they would have spent a little bit more money. But if you're looking at, if your budget is what, like 20 million in to spend in free agency, and you're giving more than half to Craig Kimbrell when like, I mean, his numbers are good, right? Last year, he fell off in the second half, but also when you've shown the ability um, to take guys from the twins that are giving you, you know, four for one trades guys can for Cano that or even Batista who was cut by the Marlins two or three years ago. And you're able to make these guys into elite relief arms. I don't really see the point in spending, you know, 60, 70% of your free agent budget on a guy like Craig Kimbrell. Now that's a very nice new angle to me. It makes a lot of sense now. Now I see why you're shaking your head. It wasn't so much about Kimbrel being a headache on the mound is more of the team philosophy, which I can see that now. Now that makes much more sense. Um, frustration level on that aspect, totally understand. Uh, but I am, I am excited to see that. And yes, the Cano is a great part. Very, very good. But uh, it's like the old thing like they talked about with the Mariners last year between Munoz and Seawald. It's like if they had to have strikeouts, Munoz was pitching the ninth. Otherwise, they let Seawall do his thing because he was a better closer. Like he had to get the ground balls, do those kind of things. But if they needed the strikeouts, like Munoz is the dude. And some teams have those options. Not all teams do. So. And dude, and then we kind of saw him struggle a little bit, not a little bit, but pretty significantly in, in Arizona. <laughs> so it, yeah. it, it, it's it's like pretty similar. And you know, uh, one guy that the Orioles were without last year, what I think fourth former like fourth overall pick or something by the Yankees is Dylan Tate um that they got him in a, in a trade a couple years ago he was missed i think all of if not most of last year he's looking really legit i mean he i think he was at driveline i think he hit 99.6 on the uh, radar gun so he's a guy that like last year they would have loved to have him in the, in the seventh or eighth inning role so i'm kind of expecting him to you know man that role um this year and when you look at the rest of their bullpen man there are some guys in there like like tyler wells we saw how effective he was as a starter yes. before he, he got a little tired, um, especially towards, you know, he just wore down just that, with a lot of these guys. It's like they're reaching their um, innings limits or career high in, in innings pretty early. So you look at the rest of their bullpen. I mean, like I think Wells and maybe like I know that I read that DL Hall is going to be potentially be able to give a chance to start. Um, so that's like someone else to, to watch for in that fifth spot over, over Cole Irvin. But I mean, if he's in the bullpen with Wells, I'd love to see those guys go like one, one and a half times through a lineup. And I think they could give you just elite numbers. I'm really glad like Hall, there's talk about prospect pedigree there. Another guy that was Tyler's list, but Tyler Wells was a great one. Cause he said pitching well, flat out admitted that's why they sent him down it's because he was literally i think he's already 10 20 innings over his limit like he was he was gassed he was exhausted they kind of let him you know stay on his normal rest but kind of take it easy comes back and lights out in the pen in the like in the season postseason and they were using him in big boy spots in the postseason exactly. like they were bringing him in in very very important spots going hey just like go throw him the heater ricky like that kind of thing it was and he was looking real good so i'm with you there i, I kind of thought he was like a dark horse to potential close at one point before they signed Kimberly. i'm like he's got the goods but he's also pretty solid in the rotation what about um i'm gonna butcher the last name danny colombe colombe Cologne, I don't know, because uh, he got some saves. That was that's the only reason why I ask is when Bautista went down, he was kind of the one B to Cano. 
Right. And then I think the reason for that is, is, is strikeout Look, stuff, right? Like he can go in there and he, he could sit some guys down and he throws pretty hard. I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name because I'll probably do a little bit worse than you. Um, but I do think he's another guy that'll be in the mix there for the, I mean, I guess you don't, just a little frustrated about the Kimball move, but yeah, I mean, I, I assume Kimball's going to get the large majority of saves because then that'll also keep, you know, Danny and the rest of these guys that are priced down in arbitration getting less saves. So I do think that's something the Orioles consider, and that's probably part of the reason why they spent up a little bit on a closer that they can actually rely on and throw out there, you know, for sixty times, seventy times a season. Yes, the real life aspect of baseball, the business aspect that screws up the fantasy aid and real betting, winning, whatever you want to call it, aspect of the game. Um, that always gets in the way with some of these teams. Uh, one last question I have for you here. You mentioned some outfielders you're looking forward to seeing from the minors. Like, I, I know you said you're not a big prospect guy. I totally get it. Are there any, though, that we should maybe be looking forward to maybe seeing this year? Because we got a couple of the guys got cups of coffee last year. Do we think they have more of an impact this year? How are you seeing this play out? Man, I've probably been irrationally too high on him for like a year now, but Heston Kerstad, like I absolutely love this dude. Like the power is super legit and the park is just such a great fit for him. Now, again, he's he's a lefty hitter. So I, I do like, you know, that's one of the things that kind of hurt them in the, in the playoffs, just having like not enough righty bats that could, that could do damage when we saw the Rangers putting out all those lefties against them. So I don't know how he necessarily fits in like, Time in terms of like projection, projecting at, at bats for him, but he's probably like one of my favorite prospects that you know is is like I mean I don't know what else you want him to to prove in the minors. Seventy six games at AAA, three seventy one OBP, four ninety eight slugging with with ten home runs. Like this dude is like if he's not ready to play every day for Baltimore, then again like as much as I like him, I think he'd be a good guy to move and you know kind of consolidate some talent to get an upgrade at, at starting pitcher. So, but he's like yeah. one of my favorite Orioles. Yeah, there's Hurst, Gerstead, you know, Kowser got his cup of coffee. People are excited for Norby, but I don't know where he plays. Uh, so it feels like Norby might be a part of a deal, potentially is what it feels like to me. Um, there, there's a few of those things, so we'll see. So when I think about who they're going to trade, it's probably like, or not probably, but I always think about it. it's Norby, Povich, the guy that they got from Minnesota as part of the Cano deal. Like, I think like those are like, like they're perfect and maybe and, and Heston as well. They're perfect fits for, for the White Sox, right? Like really good yeah. prospects that have shown the ability at, you know, the top of the, ma the minor league levels and that are ready, that there are major league ready. Yep. So like, like I think those two or three guys would be a great fit for the White Sox. Just waiting on a, <laughs> on a move to happen there. I, I already know it. it's, it's happened to me many times. It's going to happen quickly after the show's over. No, it'll, it'll happen sooner than later, but uh, we'll see how that all breaks down. I'm looking forward to the Orioles this year. Let's just have some fun prediction-wise. I know there's not over-unders out or anything yet, but do they win the AL East? Would no. you put that back down? <laughs> no? I would not. Is that the and pessimistic it, fan or is that a realistic fan? I think it's a realistic fan. Like, honestly, if you if you ask me to bet who's going to win the AL East this year, like it would probably be the Yankees. Last year, I picked the Blue Jays just because I – Think that they made enough smaller moves that maybe wasn't the splash in the offseason to kind of round out their team in, in terms of outfield defense, bullpen, and just kind of the back end of the rotation. Obviously, that didn't happen. And to be completely honest with you, I picked the Orioles to finish third or fourth in the East last year. I expected them to win around 80 games and be like a, a team around 500. Um, I didn't place any futures bets on them last year, but when people 
you know, kind of made me like, are you going over or under? I'd be like, dude, like, I don't, I think the number's right at 79.5, but I guess I would go over that. But, and I'm kind of in the, in the same place this year. Like we saw how much the, uh, the Yankees improved. I don't think they're done spending either. So I, I mean, like, even if they got, even if the O's got cease right now, maybe I would bump it up to like second or third in the East, but I don't think, I just don't think they're going to have the type of team to win over a hundred games um, again this year, especially after, you know, you look at the rotation last year and you see pretty much everybody just overachieved or at least outproduced their surface stats. It's kind of hard to, to bank on that again, even if we see a little bit of a bump from their lineup. Yeah, it's, and the big thing is the AL East is a beast. Like it's going to be tough. Like there's so many good teams. Like you wouldn't be surprised if Orioles, Yankees, Jays, Rays, maybe the Red Sox, like they, they all could make their runs and you wouldn't be like, okay, like they're like the Red Sox got offense. The Jays, they have a little bit of both. The Rays are the Rays. They always find a way. Yankees spend money. Orioles are young and, and doing it. They just want a hundred games for crying out loud. Like you wouldn't be shocked in any world. So it's a, a fun division that I get to watch before the nightcap that puts me to sleep called the Giants and uh, <laughs> keeps, keeps me going. Um, but before we wrap things up, uh, thanks for joining me, man. That was fun talking some Orioles baseball. Uh, why don't you remind everybody where they can find you and uh, where you get your work and everything. Yeah, man, uh, over at MLB Dream on Twitter, and then you can find my articles over to FTP, FTN Bets and FTN Fantasy during the season, and hopefully uh, we'll find some edges in these uh, player props. I know last year Caesars opened Acuna's home runs at 26.5 uh, towards the end of February, so we moved that to 29 within a couple, couple days thereafter, so hopefully uh, we see some giant mistakes again uh, this February. Yeah, looking forward to it. Check out his article in the, in the draft guide. He mentions the Acuna props and a couple others that there he was ahead of the game on for very good reasons that uh, looking at underlying stats and everything to kind of decipher his way through it. So really fun stuff there with uh, with Dream and company. So thanks for joining me, man. We'll have to do it again sometime. Maybe I'll have you on in a couple months. We'll talk some over-unders or something just for fun. Awesome, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm glad, uh, glad we finally got to do this. And, yeah, just let me know. I'm happy to hop on anytime and chat some bases with you. Sounds good, my man. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 622, your 2024 Baltimore Orioles team preview. Catch you all next time.